Hi there, podcast friends. I do apologize. Uh, the audio today has some technical problems. It's not uh, perfectly crisp. It's a bit choppy and I um, am very sorry for that. I'm pretty sure I figured out what's going wrong in the recording process. So hopefully it will be all resolved before next week. I do appreciate your patience and I hope that you are able to benefit from today's message. Uh, so a few weeks ago, we had our kind of opening service. And in that, I talked about where we had kind of been in the last almost 10 years, what the kind of big controversies of each year or the big teaching or the big element or something that happened. Uh, and we kind of worked our way all the way up to the present. Uh, and then I read through uh, a good portion of John chapter 15 and said, I think that this is part of, uh, you know, like a like the word of the Lord for us for this coming season. Uh, and today I would like to unpack that just a tiny little bit more uh, just by doing a, a, a simple teaching from John 15. So I'm not going to do some weird prophetic declaration over our community. I really just want to teach out of this so that we can um, go through this scripture and, and as a community and understand it better. So I'm just going to start out by reading from John 15, chapter 1 through 12 for us. I am the true vine, said Jesus. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit. And he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it can bear more fruit. You are already clean. That's because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. The branch can't bear fruit by itself, but only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. People who remain in me and I in them are the ones who, who bear plenty of fruit. Without me, you see, you can't do anything. If people don't remain in me, they are thrown out like a branch and they wither. People collect the branches and put them on the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will happen for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear plenty of fruit, and so become my disciples. As the Father loved me, Jesus continued, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be full. This is my command. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. Okay. I don't normally read through such a big section in one go, so we're, we're well underway now. So what is the context of this teaching? So we're in John 15 here. Uh, and I know that you all just, you know, totally, definitely went home and read the whole book of John a few weeks ago because you were just so excited about what I was saying. You, you meant to? Wow, I'll take that. Good intentions are a good start. Uh, nonetheless, John 15, for those who aren't aware, is actually part of the Last Supper narrative. So in John 13, Jesus gathers with his disciples in the upper room, uh, and, they, um, and, and then he washes their feet, uh, which is a, a really beautiful uh, scene, and it's the last time that he's going to share a meal with his disciples. And I've preached about this before, and I think that for Jesus, knowing that this was the last time, imagine if it was your last meal. Uh, I, I had a, a family gathering once um, uh, when my father turned 60, and he had cancer, and he honestly kind of felt that it was 
nearing the end for him. And all of our family gathered and, and just to, you know, spoiler, didn't die, um, just turned 70 uh, last uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, like, he's did all right. But at the time, it was looking pretty grim. And we turned up to this family gathering and he has kind of said goodbye. He shared of his faith and he, he even cried, which was a big deal um, for all of my extended family. And it was this beautiful time of, of, of family and reflection and love. And this, I think, like, feel the emotion of this. Jesus is gathering with his disciples for the last time. He knows that ahead of him is this awful, gruesome death. And he has this conversation as they break bread. He has this conversation with Judas. Uh, and he says to Judas, you know, well, you should go now. Go now and do what you have to do. And the other disciples think he's, you know, like going to do the washing. But, but Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And then he has this conversation with Peter where Peter's like, I'll follow you anywhere. He's like, you sure? Are you going to really? Because I'm pretty sure that by the end of tonight, you know, the cock's going to crow three times. You're going to disown me. You know what I mean? Like three times you were going to disown me. So he's having these kind of awkward, difficult moments with his disciples. And then he encourages his disciples to trust him. Because he knows that it's not just a challenge for him in this coming hours. It's going to be a deep challenge for his disciples. And he says, trust me. And he says, I, I will go to the Father and I will ask the Father, send you a helper who will be with you forever. An advocate who will be with you forever. And then we get to chapter 15. That's the context of this verse. And Jesus starts out and he says, I am the true vine. Now, we don't read this with Jewish eyes. We just kind of gloss over a lot of these things. So he's saying, I am the true vine, which is very kind of weird. Um, but not only that, if he's the true vine, what's the counterfeit? What's the fake? Who's the fake vine? Who's the, the made-up vine? Who is the, like, what's the deal? Jesus is making a claim of authority to be the true vine instead of being the dodgy counterfeit or the pretender. You see, because throughout the scriptures, if you were Jewish, you would have, had a better understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, and you would know that the picture of a vine was a picture of Israel. In fact, the different times in their history, even their currency had, had vines on it. There was, I think it was the, over the, the, the gateway, uh, I think it was the second temple, there was a, a big vine um, thing there as well. Like the vine imagery and language was a deeply seated, powerful thing within Jewish culture. Uh, in Isaiah 5, it says, uh, this is in verse 7, it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. But he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed, and he, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. If you keep reading through Isaiah 5, you find that the, the vine has not done well. Again, in Jeremiah 2.21, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? See, this, this vine imagery, it says that it's like God took um, the, a vine out of Egypt and planted it again. Uh, so in Ezekiel and Hosea and in the Psalms, we see this imagery of Israel being a vine again and again and again. And each time, the story turns sharply and the vine is a big disappointment. The fate of the branches is not good. It works out very badly for this vine. They're trampled, they're destroyed, they're stripped off, thrown into fire, withered, cut down, burned. Again and again, Israel fails to honor God. They are the vine that 
never quite lived up to the promises and the covenants and the expectations. And then we have Jesus here, and he says, I am the true vine. Unlike Israel, Jesus doesn't disappoint. Where Israel failed, Jesus is triumphant. Where they didn't meet the standard of the covenant or the promises, Jesus is there. Where they didn't fulfill those things, Jesus fulfills all of them. He is the true vine, the true Israel, and the one whom through God's purposes and promises will be made complete. I am the true vine, said Jesus, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, and he prunes every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Sorry, he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it can be more, uh, bear more fruit. Jesus is the vine, his father is the gardener, uh, and then verse 5 makes it clear that the character, the final character in this, this picture, this metaphor, is that, that his followers are the branches. And as a responsible gardener, God tends to the vine, which includes pruning the branches so that they bear more fruit. I have a, a, a quote here from N.T. Wright that I really love. It says, the vine dresser, the gardener, is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. There are two types of branches in this story. The ones that have borne fruit and the ones that have never and will never bear fruit. There are some people who've argued that where it says cut off, uh, so that first category, well, the, the people who have never borne fruit, um, that where it says cut off, it's been translated poorly. Um, the word A-ray uh, should be rendered as lifted up, which is a legitimate translation that basically nobody uses. But there are like a very small group of people that try to make a more compassionate read of this. And they say, no, 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 no. The ones who have not borne fruit need to be lifted up so that their branches can be supported so that they will then become strong enough to bear fruit. Um, but it's not super relevant to my interpretation that I'm going to offer today. But I just want you to note that there are some, there's some um, disagreement there, uh, although I had to dig pretty far to find it. Um, this is important, though, that there are these two distinct different types of branch, uh, because we need to see that even Jesus, the true vine, his branches needed pruning. They needed to be cut off even. In John 6, if we wind back a fair way there, he's teaching, Jesus is teaching uh, in Capernaum, and his message this is the message where he says to them, if you want to be part of me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. So it's kind of controversial, especially in the Jewish culture. The whole blood thing is a really big deal. It's why the, all of the kind of kosher rules exist, so you don't consume blood and stuff. So when Jesus says you need to drink my blood, they all have a huge freak out. Um, I'll probably preach on, I'm going to do some more preaching in John, so I'll probably cover that sermon somewhere else. Because it's so controversial that a bunch of people just say, nah, we are done, we're out, we're finished, it's not happening, you're a nut job, we don't want anything to do with you. Uh, so there is a point there where Jesus blows their worldview up so significantly that they walk away. It's so bad that they, they, they can't deal with what he's saying and they would rather their old identity with their old way of thinking and their old way of living than to follow this madman with this weird cannibalistic message, which is obviously not what it's about. But 
They were prepared to follow Jesus when it meant miraculous healing, because this is the content of the earlier chapters of, of John. We have miraculous healing and we have free food. Everyone loves free food. Um, I, I think the church attendance goes up when we offer more food uh, because people like having a good meal. Uh, and they were prepared to follow Jesus for the miracles and the free food. And they were prepared to follow Jesus when they thought he was going to destroy the, uh, their enemies. But when Jesus said, no, 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 you have to come and remain in me. You need to be of my flesh and of my blood. They were like, nah, we're done. Cut it out. And they left. And they were cut off the vine. Those branches were tossed aside. When we, when we get to verse 2 here, the, the, the Greek word that we translate as pruned uh, is also found in, um, in the next verse. So the word pruned is a verb, and in the next verse we have a noun, but in, in the next verse we translate it as clean, which is a little bit weird. It's saying that the vine is cleaned through the process of pruning. Uh, so you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This isn't the first time that Jesus has used this language in this exact conversation, though. See, after he washed his disciples' feet, this is in John 13, chapter, uh, verse 10, it says, Those who have been, had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. So the first time Jesus has this conversation, he says, You guys are all clean, except for not all of you. And then Judas leaves. And this time around he says, now you're all clean. And he doesn't qualify it. The second time around he says, you've all been pruned already. Same word. You've all been cleaned already. It's the same word. The verb and the noun just translated slightly differently. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. See, the words that Jesus has spoken over the years that they have journeyed with him, he has slowly been pruning their characters and pruning their ambitions and pruning the way that they see the world and the way that they see other people so that they could bear more fruit. Hearing the words of Jesus, or for us reading the Scriptures, that isn't enough. We need to trust the words of Jesus and we must remain in him. You see, these other group uh, earlier, they had heard the words of Jesus, but they didn't want to remain in him. They didn't want to take part in his sacrifice, and they didn't want to be one with him. So they were cut off. It's not enough to hear the words of Jesus. We must remain in him. In verse 4, remain in me, and I will remain in you. The branch can't bear fruit by itself, but only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. People who remain in me and I in them are the ones who bear plenty of fruit. Without me, you see, you can't do anything. Remain in me. Some translations say abide in me, continue in me, endure in me, persist in me, wait in me, stay in me. The vine is life for the branch. Without the vine, the branch dies real quick. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But when you cut the branches off, they don't keep living. It's, it's, this is not a complicated parable. You must remain in him in order to stay living and vibrant and to bear fruit. As Jesus is the true Israel, you must remain in him and be part of God's true people. 
There's a controversy in this message because everyone else thought, well, no, that Israel is, is the, the vine and it, the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, they are the branches. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I am the true vine and the people who are in me are the true branches. This is a seditious message that will get him killed very quickly after this event, in fact. To remain in Jesus isn't simply believing the right ideas. It's the intentional commitment to deeply connect with him and to connect with the rest of the vine. You've got to be connected to the believers of of the vine. All the branches feed into the vine. You must trust your whole life, not just a little bit of it. Trust your whole life over to his sovereignty. To abide in him means to affirm your beliefs with actions. It means to not go it alone. People who do not remain in the vine, in fellowship, connected to the vine, they run the risk of being cut off entirely. See, if people don't remain in me, they are thrown out like a branch and they wither. And people collect the branches and put them on the fire and they are burned. But you see, when we do remain in him, we do get pruned. He does take away the challenging elements of of our heart and lives and thinking when he reshapes us to bear good fruit. You see, the point of pruning is so that the thing doesn't get all tangled up. It's, it's to make sure that the sun hits the vine in all the right places. It's to make sure that it bears the greatest amount of fruit and that branches don't snap because of they're overburdened. Or like we, we have to allow God to prune for us to grow. So I have a, a series of things here that I kind of identify as fruit that we bear when we remain in him. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will happen for you. Now, I'm not great at this. I, ask, I do pray and I ask God for things. And I, it, like this makes it sound like a very simple formula. You ask what you want and it happens. But I think that's a little bit like what my kids ask me for what they want. They always want screen, just in case you're wondering. They always want Nintendo. They always want chocolate. They always want the kombucha instead of the water. They always want, you know. And I'm a pretty good father, so much so that I don't allow them to just have chocolate and screens and kombucha all day long. But part of remaining in him and the part of the fruit of remaining in him is that you have that conversation, is that you have an open dialogue with Jesus. Not just a, an intellectual ascent to faith where you say, yes, I believe these things, but then you don't make any attempt to engage in relationship. And my father is glorified in this, that you bear plenty of fruit and so become my disciples. The first one of those fruits, I think, is that you have a life of prayer. The second is that, that when you bear that fruit, it glorifies the father. He is glorified when we are good disciples. If we want to bring glory to God, we bear fruit. We don't just bring glory to God by singing, and we don't just bring glory to God by understanding the Scriptures. We bring glory to God by bearing fruit. And we become disciples that bear plenty of fruit. And as the Father loved me, Jesus continued, so I loved you. Remain in my love. Part of the fruit is that you know Jesus' love. And I think that that's a really tough one to grow for some people. Some people have been so 
damaged by the church, so damaged by authority figures, so damaged by a toxic interpretation of Scripture or a, an awful experience in, in a faith context that they cannot experience the love of God, that they cannot experience Jesus' love for them. They've just got some kind of blockage there that gets in the way of them knowing that Jesus loves you and he dies for you, that you would live eternally, that he doesn't want you to perish, that he thinks that you are wonderfully and beautifully made, that, and that he just adores you. People get stuck. And part of the fruit is that we break through the lies and the deception and the nonsense that stops us from knowing that. I love this verse in John 13. It's one of my, I think it's one of my favorite verses. Uh, It just says it was just before the Passover festival. So this is the very beginning of the Last Supper narrative. It says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. It's like I was saying before, he knew what was happening. And it says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Even Judas. He loved them to the end. Knowing that this was, his time was up, he loved them. And he held on to that love all the way up to the cross. He loved them to the end. Bearing the fruit of being part of this vine is to know that he loves you to the very end. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Fruit, fruit of remaining in him is that we obey his commands. And when we obey his commands, that's what it is to remain in his love. The two are synonymous. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. You have the fullness, not of your joy, of his joy. Let me read that again. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you. So his joy becomes yours and then that joy becomes full. And his joy is different. Like his peace is different. You know what I mean? In John 14, this is in the same conversation again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is like, I am about to go and get slaughtered and I want you to have my peace about that. And Jesus' peace about that went something like this. God, if there's any other way we can do this, you see, Jesus understood anxiety and he understood fear and he understood that terror of what was coming, but he had peace because he trusted everything over to God. And he's saying, I want you to have the peace where you can hand things over to God. It's my peace and it's a peace that will allow you to go through all kinds of challenge and trial and, and to succeed despite those challenges and trials, but it isn't a worldly peace. And in the same way, he wants you to have joy, but it isn't a worldly joy that comes from meeting um, your pleasures. It's a joy that comes deep from within, from knowing that you are loved and that you remain in him. This is my command, love one another in the same way that I loved you. Love one another. Jesus says that, um, that we should love our enemies. That's how he loves us. 
He loves us when we are his friend and he loves us when we are still at war with him. And he commands us to have that love for one another. Jesus is the true vine. His father is the gardener and we are the branches. I think I'm just going to, I'll finish up here. There are a couple of things that really stand out to me as challenging in this message that I, that I, because I can read as much as I've read now and I'm encouraged. But if I really go back and look at it, there are a couple of things here that really challenged me. The first is pruning isn't meant to hurt you, um, but it is meant to stimulate growth. But letting God prune the dead and withering parts of us away can be really hard. Some people think that you, uh, and some churches even, some preachers, they present a gospel of worldly joy and worldly peace and worldly this and that and the other. And in that picture, anytime strife comes, people think, well, this is, then it's not true. But the peace and the joy that Jesus offers is something that helps us to overcome the challenge. And then God comes in close because he loves us and he prunes away the dead bits. And it's hard. Being vulnerable is hard. Being intimate is hard. Laying things down and letting things go is hard. But that's what it is to prune. I don't know about you, but I, I meet people sometimes or I counsel people sometimes and they're still caught up on something that happened to them a really long time ago. Now, sometimes they have such deep trauma, they need counseling, they need to work that through. Having not let that go is pretty reasonable. But then I meet other people who have the most petty grievances that they've been carrying around forever. And it's dead weight. It is dead wood that's, that is just weighing them down. And I think that God wants to prune away the things that have withered and died on the vine. He wants us to bear more fruit. He doesn't want us to be weighed down with things that will kill us. But it's hard. There are things in all of our lives that need pruning. Old ways of thinking, habits, ambitions, destructive behavior, selfishness, even grief and trauma and things that are there. I'm not saying that we carry these things because we're bad. I'm saying we carry them because they're they just stuck to us. And God wants to prune away those things because he loves us. The second thing I think that is challenging about this is that um, the branches are connected to the vine and that means they're connected to each other. Um, I don't know about you, but being connected to Jesus is all right, but sometimes I'd rather not be connected to the rest of you. People suck. I saw a thing the other day that said, I hate nouns. People, places, and things. And I get it. I get it deep in my soul, man. But to be connected to the vine is to be connected to one another. And we must do that with love and grace. And we must do that with forgiveness and compassion. And we must bear with one another as we work through the things that need to be pruned off. But we've got to do it together. That's part of the deal. Part of the deal of being connected to Jesus is that we are part of a family and in that family, we deeply love and serve one another. We love one another. It's hard because it means that we have to trust each other and we get hurt. I don't know about you, but I have been hurt in community. I have been hurt in this church. I have been hurt in this church. And I have to continue to allow myself to be vulnerable. And I have to continue to allow myself to trust. And I have to continue to allow myself to invest. 
and I have to let God prune away the hurts and give me joy and prune away the, 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 the destruction and give me peace. And it's hard. But that's what it is to remain in him. I'm not trying to diminish anyone's hurt or anyone's trauma or anyone's um, brokenness. What I'm trying to say is that God wants to give you something new. He wants to bear new fruit in your life. That means you need to open yourself up to allow uh, yourself to be pruned. But also remember that the pruning is done by the Father. And I think that a lot of the challenges that we face in relationship is when someone else turns up and says, I need to cut that thing off you. Like they have some responsibility to cut you down. And that's not how it works. It's our responsibility to bear with one another, to love one another, to support one another, to encourage one another, to bless one another, and allow the Father to come in and speak those gentle words to prune us. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you are a good gardener and that you love us so deeply and you want us to have joy and peace. You want us to bear plenty of fruit. So I pray that you would help us to remain in you, to talk to you, to know you, to abide in you, to persist in you, to continue in you. I pray that we would learn how to love one another, that we would learn how to encourage one another that we may be one as you and the Father are one. So God, help us to be part of this beautiful vine, this family. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.